three, you may be dismissed. Head on back in our, I think our permanent home back there in the, in the teacher's uh, hallway there. And I appreciate those workers, that's for sure. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 11. We will get there in just a little bit. And so as we uh, continue on, we're in this series and we're talking about this concept of rest. Now, uh, this concept of rest can be pretty challenging. Uh, Jesus says that this idea of Sabbath, this idea of rest is a gift for us. And yet, I wonder, um, maybe many of you have tomorrow off, maybe some of you don't. Kids do. If you saw the sign out there, remember, Monday is off from school. And uh, I know there's been times in my life, I don't know if you're about me, but if I were to tell you randomly in the middle of the week you have tomorrow off, some of you might be happy, all this front row would be, but some of you might say, I don't want it off. Because having time off means you're going to go back and the work is still there. And you have a hard time leaving the work. Or it just feels like a burden. Or maybe you feel guilty taking time off. Or maybe you just don't know what to do to rest. We live in a restless world, in a restless society, and it can often feel like here in the 21st century we have more stress and pressures on us than we ever have before. But the reality is that this has been a struggle for men and women since the dawn of time, really. <laughs> and, and the nation of Israel, as we talked about before, they were under slavery for hundreds of years with no rest. And then the God had to return them to his original design with the fourth commandment to take a Sabbath, to try and rebuild it into the rhythm of their life. In fact, throughout history, uh, this has been a challenge. And um, there's a quote from an essay that was written about America uh, in, in 1899. And the author said this, he says, Americans wear stress and overwork like fancy jewelry. They internalize bad habits caught from the social atmosphere, kept up by tradition and idealized by man as an admirable way of life to be overworked. Well, you would think that as uh, time went on from there, we began to have factories and things were made and produced quicker and better and more efficiently. People did that, so they said, well, the more efficient we get, the less work we have to do, right? It makes sense. It, it eases your burden. But in the 1970s, it shows that the more efficient we became, the more work began to increase because there was always that strive to get ahead, to make more money, to do more, to be ahead of other people. And then in the 1980s, there was an increase and there was no longer a cap on professional work, whether it be a teacher, lawyers, doctors. Uh, if you went over 50 hours in a week, there was no longer uh, any worry about it. It became a trend, taking home work with you laptops, computers that can go anywhere, and your work follows you anywhere. And so now it's a badge of courage, and the average work week is not 40 weeks anymore, 40 hours, is it? Uh, they, don't, they don't have that cap. And, and depending on where you're at or what, how you work, you don't have much control over that. Six-day work week's pretty common, but that's just the work side of life. Uh, our home life is a little bit different as well. Uh, I, our child rearing is quite a bit different in the 21st century in the time we live. 
Uh, now, part of that is just the way society and homes and, and people are more mobile, and so kids aren't out uh, free-range kids, you know, like free-range chickens. We don't have free-range kids anymore. They can just run out and play and then check in with the parents. Uh, there's a lot more going on, so you have to be a little bit more active to protect your kids. But then there's a lot more opportunity as well for any hobby or sport. Sundays, as we know, are no longer sacred. Most stores are open 24-7. And so there's a lot of opportunities to take us away uh, from this idea of rest. And each year, billions of dollars are saved by companies, but really go to waste by workers because of unused vacation time. Um, many workers have vacation in the bank that they didn't use or didn't feel they had the time or the breadth to use during the last year. And the belief is that re relentless effort produces better results, but <laughs> scientists and health experts are coming alongside now and saying that's just not the case. And they're beginning to do study after study that I've been looking at that says, you know what, a rhythm of work and rest produces better work. And yet we have a hard time controlling that or believing that in our culture and in our world. And what science is revealing is the original uh, design uh, embedded by God in our very DNA. They're just proving what God has said all along, uh, that uh, the Sabbath is a gift for us, <laughs> that resting is a gift for us, and that God built that into our world. And so rest truly does allow us to be at our best. And see, if we look back and we understand that God built it into our world, but the question is, where do you start? <laughs> Where do I start if I really want rest? And isn't it more than just taking a day off? Isn't it what we do with that day that matters? We're going to talk more and more detail next week, but today I want to talk about the starting point for rest. And the starting point for rest, I believe, is here in Matthew 28, 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, this is Jesus speaking. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now these words jump out to me. It says, all who are labor and heavy laden. And that's, that's where this passage just leaped off the page to me. It grabbed me by the heart as I was looking at it. And, and because the idea there of labor and heavy laden, labor is work, effort. Those of you who work, whether you are in a job or employment or in school, as soon as sin entered the world, that work came along with it and it became a struggle. It wasn't easy any longer. And that's a battle that we all have to face, a part of our broken world, that sometimes things are hard. But what hit me is this word heavy laden is also translated those who are losing heart. Sometimes you may get in that spot in your life and you're just, you're losing heart. You're, you're tired. You wonder, are my prayers going to be answered? Uh, other people disappoint you or there's hurt there that you know won't be relieved for a while and, and your heart's heavy. Now you may not be there this morning, but I'd encourage you to listen and Allow the Holy Spirit to store this in your databanks so that when you get there, you know where to go. 
Maybe you can look back like me. I look back and I see times like this where, whew, it's like, man, you, you just need something encouraging to happen. Things pile up. And uh, being a counselor, it's part of a, being a pastor. You can see that and experience that walk and watch people walk through those seasons of life where it's hard and they begin to, to, to lose heart. And so Jesus is speaking to us and I don't think rest is unattainable, even though it may seem that way. And I believe that um, he wants to give us a gift this morning and remind us where to go. And um, the word rest here, he says, and I will give you rest. It means refreshment or revival. Um, he wants to, us to be refreshed and revived. Um, and I love whenever I get that feeling of, okay, I, I've had a break. I'm ready to go. I'm refreshed. I'm re I'm revived. I need to, to restore things. And so Jesus gives us really in there uh, three key actions, three key verbs that I think help us to understand what it means to get to a place and start to move towards rest. And we're going to talk about each of these individually, but come, take, and learn. Come, take, and learn. The first thing he commands us to do is he says, come to me. That's the ultimate call, but, and the reason he came and walked among us is to come to him for salvation and forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. Jesus came to us. He came down to us, and now he's calling us to come to him. He took on human flesh, fully God, fully man, living life, understanding what it means to be tired. I mean, he walked everywhere. I, I, I don't know. I, I used to have a calculation of how many miles he might have walked during the three and a half years of ministry but uh just that feeling of jesus was among us he knows what we experienced hunger thirst tiredness weariness of the attacks from the outside and he says come to me and even if you've been following jesus for years i know that when i get in this work 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 mode jesus gets pushed to the side and i haven't spent much time with him and he's he's saying come Come to me. And I died for you. I, I'm here for you. I, I've built this in. And, and I want us to understand it first. Jesus is approachable and gentle. He is approachable and gentle. It says there in those verses, it describes him as uh, meek and lowly in spirit. And he is humble and gentle with us. He is merciful. The idea that he's a God that you can approach. Not like a boss who's going to be angry if you don't get your job done. <laughs> Say, no, no, come to me. I, I know what you're going for. I, I, I've walked through it. I understand it. I'll be gentle with you and merciful. Your, your sins have been paid for. Come to me. And he actually cares. And he cares for your well-being more than you do. <laughs> he cares for your, your kids' well-being more than you do for your spouse's well-being more than you do. It's hard for me to picture somebody caring more for my kids than Rachel and I do, but God does. He's bigger than I am, and he's able to provide more than I am, and I sometimes forget that he actually cares for me in that way, too. And he truly does. He wants to meet me where I'm at. And then he says, Take my yoke. Now, he's not asking you to eat the yellow part of an egg. Okay, he, he, 
wants you to take his yoke. Now, taking Jesus' yoke can mean a little bit, uh, be a little bit harder for us to understand if you didn't grow up in an agricultural way. And so, if you look at this, this is a yoke. It allows two animals uh, to be tied together and to share the load and to work together. Now, when I hear that, kind of my mind first goes to, why would I want to take on someone else's yoke? Why would I want to take on Jesus' burdens? What's he going to, I have enough, Lord. Don't tell me to take anything more. My plate is full. But what he's saying is, I'm going to come alongside you. And he's bringing the yoke with him to make the load we're pulling lighter. And I, I don't know if you've ever tried to lift like a, backpack or a pail and done and you couldn't do it on your own but you can put a stick through it and two people on the side and whoa it's a lot easier to carry a lot easier to move it around it's the idea of a stretcher we put somebody on it i can never lift them on my own but two people carrying in front and in back can carry that load and this is a picture he wants us to have of how he comes alongside us and he wants to take up this yoke. And the value of a yoke is it halves the load. And if you yoke up one cow with another cow, they can pull not only a bigger load, but they can work a little bit longer. They can make it a little bit longer before they run out of energy or before they crash. And so when Jesus says to take his yoke upon you, he's not saying he's going to give you his problems. He doesn't have any problems. Uh, he doesn't have any problems at all. He's saying, I want to share yours. I want to come alongside you. And he wants to walk by your side. Jesus wants to share your load and walk side by side with you in life. How often do we get so busy or caught up with our load that we don't think of Jesus being beside us or turn to him or talk to him during the week? or call out to him when we do need help. You see, the author of life wants us to learn. That's the next verb, is learn. He wants to come and then take his yoke, bring him alongside us in our daily lives, not just on Sunday mornings, and then learn from him. Learn from him how to go through this life, because he walked through this life perfectly. Learn from him about his power, about the power of the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, the idea of Sabbath is it's made for you. You weren't made for the Sabbath. He's saying it wasn't made to be an extra burden on you. It wasn't made to make you feel guilty. He reminds us, come and take his yoke. And we read about it, but, and Jesus speaks about it. And I can preach about it, but do we believe it and understand what that looks like? Do we really believe there is rest? Well, science, once again, is, is supporting the fact that we need rest, and rest begins with sleep, right? The better we sleep, the better we feel. The more we're able to deal with life. When sleep starts to get deprived, my patience goes down, my perspective goes away, and I struggle. And it's funny that uh, one scientist, uh, an evolutionary scientist, uh, by the name of a Dr. Reichstephan, he says this, he says, and this was in the uh, early 1900s, he said, if sleep doesn't serve some vital function, it's the biggest mistake evolution ever made. <laughs> and so 
he's trying to figure out that there's got to be a vital function. Now, we're not like C-3PO or R2-D2, those droids where you just hit them and they power down and like your phone, you just recharge it overnight. You actually discover that when you sleep, your body is hard at work, processing, rebuilding connections, getting you ready to go. The body still functions in sleep, in these different cycles of sleep, REM sleep, and all of those have a purpose, especially with renewing our minds and helping our minds to process and rest. What blows me away about sleep is Jesus had this down so well. He had this peace. He relied completely on God, so he's out in the boat in the middle of a storm, and he's sound asleep. The only other people I know that could do that are people who serve in our armed forces. They find sleep when and where they can, and they're able to do that. I can't shut off like that and sleep. But just that idea, even our kids just go to bed and peaceful rest. Uh, the older you get, the more burdens your mind carries with you. It's harder to let go at the end of the day. Now another a scientist I was looking, and he was studying a Finnish neuroscientist, a Nobel Prize winner, uh, said this. He says, we do not know how the brain builds this unconscious ability. And we'll talk about it more in the next week, but it's called the uh, default mode. And the default mode of the mind it, it are all of these processes that work behind the scenes to process information and memories and catalog them. And some call it uh, the time when you're daydreaming or your mind wonders it's actually still working. You could be doing a task and then all of a sudden an idea pops into your head. Well, that's because your brain is processing. And while as he looked at this and began to understand it, he said, well, you know what? I just don't know how the brain does this in humans. But we just have to admit that it's designed that way. The concept of how we are designed keeps coming back that we're different. We're made in the image of God. There's something different about humanity that just didn't evolve to be that way. We're, we're made in God's image with creative minds and the way we process things and the way we can even study ourselves to the depth that we know and understand these days. It doesn't write out God. It brings him back in the story, and we should just fall on our knees and worship and in awe of how he has made us. And so as we look at this and we come to Jesus and we take his yoke and we begin to learn there's a, a rhythm of life he designed and desires for us. Sin gets in the way. Pride gets in the way. But he designed a rhythm of life. And the question is, are we going to embrace that? But on the other side of this truth, we know there are realities of sleepless nights and minds and worry and anxiousness. And aside from rest, the intentional pursuit, we're going to find out of active rest. It's not just going and sitting on a couch, but what we do while we rest helps us to get more revived. Some things are more helpful than others. But the thing is, we talk more about active rest versus just sleep, but science, it doesn't lie. And working more and working harder and more effort and more time does not equal better results. You know where else that is true? It's true in our spiritual lives, isn't it? It's not about working harder, doing more, and, and being more signed up on more committee, committees or teams and doing all this stuff. God says, no. 
the price has been paid. You're saved by grace, not by works, so that we don't boast on what we do. There's a parallel now to how we live our lives and to how we grow spiritually. It's resting and trusting in the Lord. Often we introduce ourselves, and what do we say within the first three to four sentences? Majority of the time, men are even quicker. Here's what I do. Here's what my occupation is. Our identity is built around our work and our culture. But it's strange um, that we seem to have this struggle and we want to find out. And Jesus is saying, come, take, and learn. Come to me. Team up with me. Um, take on a lighter load. Learn how to lean on me, how to live life with me. Uh, allow me to take your stress. It's going to make it easier for you to navigate life if I am with you. And until we reach heaven, the burdens and the heartaches and the trials are going to be here, but we don't have to take them alone. And so when you're yoked with Christ, you move together with him. And, and the funny thing is, when that yoke's on, and if Christ is alongside you and you keep him in mind, he keeps you going in the right direction, right? Both animals have to go in the right direction, the same direction. So we're moving in the same direction as Christ with that yoke on. But then we're also moving at a pace that he sets in our life. The yoke does the same so that one, if one tries to battle ahead of the other, the other has to catch up or one has to slow down because it's going to hurt. So we have to stay in pace with the Lord. That's another picture of that yoke that we are carrying and yet, I wonder if we will find a rest for our souls. And he wants us to learn from him about life, but he also wants us to, to work for him and with him. But what's God's primary work for us here on this earth? What's the main thing he wants you to do? To worship him, to know him, to have a relationship with him. And in order to do that, we need to trust in the Lord, to rely on the Lord. And so rest begins in our souls as we trust in Jesus. Now this, this can be pretty hard <laughs> to figure out what coming, learning, taking, what trust is, and when we can do it. And, and yet, one of the biggest obstacles we have, one of the biggest things that gets in the way, I was listening to a podcast on this a few months ago, gets in the way of our actually stopping and spending time with the Lord or, or taking a break. Is that we're afraid if we stop, it's like a guy spinning plates, we're going to lose balance somewhere, a plate's going to fall. We've got to keep them all spinning with our families and our work life. and It's going to get out of our control. And the reality is that's part of the reason that Sabbath declares Jesus is Lord. Because whenever we stop, we're saying, Lord, you got this. I'm going to trust you. You have this. I'm not going to try and control everything. And so fear, I believe, is one of our greatest obstacles to rest and trust. And especially in fear, I think... Uh, there's a little bit of FOMO going on. Now, what is FOMO? Come on, front row. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. That's one of those little things they text. FOMO. It's this real thing. They've identified people do things because they don't want to miss out on the latest trend. It's fear of missing out. That we don't want to 
miss out or be a part of something that's going on or the latest trend or technology or what other conversations people are having or what they have or what they work and get money for. We don't want to miss out, so we work more. And so within that, um, fear can often, I think this is a good description of how the devil tries to get us. It's false evidence appearing real. So in our minds, we're thinking, I have to do this. I don't have time for the Lord. It's all going to fall apart. But that's not true. We start to think of what other people are thinking about us and lies about ourselves, our identity, and we start to think that's the real who we are. And we haven't gone alongside Jesus and understood we are his child. We are forgiven. We don't have to carry the burdens or the insults of other people on us, the expectations of others that we can never live up to. Our identity is in Christ. The false evidence appearing real, the more you stop and you yoke yourself with Christ, the more the Holy Spirit lets you identify what's false. And uh, the message you're getting about what you need to do in order to be a good parent or to live up to a good standard of living, you can begin to recognize those and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop and I'm going to set a rhythm for my life and my family that follows the Lord. And so Henry Nouwen, a Christian author and speaker, says, um, he says, there's so much fear in us, fear of people, fear of God, raw and undefined anxiety in our hearts. And he says, when we enter into the presence of God and start to sense that fear in us, we want to run away. You want to pick up your phone and just hide in the moment of distraction or turn on the TV or just do anything but uh, to avoid that being alone with God or that feeling but it's the very Jesus who says do not be afraid it is I to the disciples and our inclination is to show our Lord only what we feel comfortable with but choosing to pursue rest and to come to Jesus to take his yoke and to to learn from him is really declaring that we have victory over fear it's declaring that what we declared with this this morning is we're saying Jesus had victory. He paid for it on the cross. It is done. It is finished. And when we choose to pursue rest, we have victory in Christ. And we can find time to stop and to cease. Not only physical benefit does it have, but it has a spiritual victory for us as well. Um, we are remembering the eternal outcome in the midst of this temporary battlefield that we're at, that the battle belongs to the Lord. And ultimately, the victory is being with him forever. And even though our pain and our struggles are so real, they are temporary in light of eternity. They're but a speck. And it's, that's, I have to... <laughs> preach that to myself more and more but the more we're able to walk with Jesus and find rest and rest for our souls I, I love that phrase because it's not just rest for our bodies but rest begins with rest for your soul that a peace inside of you with who you are in Christ that's why it says rest for your souls not just for your body or just rest in general but for your soul for your heart for those who are losing heart he wants you to know there's hope. You can lift your head up. You can have confidence. You can smile and you have peace in the Lord. And I, I know you may be thinking, oh, you're a pastor. This is easy to say. You can set your own schedule for the most part. 
And I'm like, well, you know, I think that's true to a degree, right? Because we're supposed to be able to preach this. But let me tell you, I've had to figure this out the hard way. We were down in Texas, and, and uh, my mom passed away. And I, there's just this anxiety was building months and months, knowing my siblings were the caretakers, wanting to be up here, not knowing when to visit, when not to visit. All of these challenges, and, and you, you power through it. You come up and, and spend time with her. She went to be at the Lord, and then we all went through and put together a memorial service. Then I came back down to Texas, and we started a 10,000-square-foot building campaign and project. And so I just kept going and going. And then God began to send us on mission trips. We got a heart to plant a church, kept going and going through residency, building up a team, getting things ready, and about... Two, and a, two years ago, a little less, I was in my bed one night and I woke up next to Rachel about two weeks before we were to launch and my heart was racing. I was like, is this what a heart attack feels like? It doesn't hurt. I was short of breath, had the chills. And, and it comes to find out I had just let stress build. I hadn't taken any real breaks or anything and I, and I had lost complete rhythm in my life. <laughs> and so I had to step back called them in around me, said, what's going on? And look at a rhythm of life. It's being bivocational at the time, trying to get this going. And I'd slowly, one step at a time, getting people in my life, ask me the right questions, understanding how I am wired to rest, what actually helps my mind to release some of these things, taking time before the Lord to actually process grief instead of trying to power through it. My goodness, I had coached so many people through that process. And did I take it myself? No, I did not. And as I began to do that, I, and then every now and then Rachel reminds me, so I can hear it in you maybe, Kevin, take your rod, go out and fish. <laughs> Please, it'd be better for all of us. <laughs> and so I've had to come to that point where, the, so this whole message series is just a, an overflow for what I've been trying to process and deal with. And to me, the greatest gift God has given me was to enter back into the workplace for a time and understand and get a glimpse of once again and relate to, man, sometimes there are expectations outside of you you can't control. So how do you bring that to the Lord? How do we walk it to the Lord? Well, this year as we kind of wind down in our, our messages and there on your notes, you'll see it. I want you to actually think about each week and even take time as we transition and pray and, and think about what is your next step from the message? What is the next step God wants you to take? So when we say, what is your next step? It's what are you going to apply this week? Or maybe it's a truth to believe, an action to take, a prayer to begin praying. Maybe it's I need to start by coming to Jesus. Maybe it's realigning and understanding that God is sovereign. Kevin is not. He's not in control of everything. I need to stop and trust in the Lord. Maybe it's something to learn from the Lord. See, God's design and desire for our soul is to come to him to take and to learn and to rest. And next week we're going to get real practical. How do we do that? What does that look like? And guess what? It's the same as our discipleship model we'll be doing in base camp. It's not the same for each of you. So don't try and compare your rest mode to this rest mode or the different seasons of life, stages, personalities. God meets you where you're at. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about Christ. 
He knows how he wired you better than you know how you got wired. So it's, it's figuring out steps how you can align with that and give yourself that freedom to truly walk it out weekly and walk with the Lord. And so as I take a moment here to pray today, I just think about it, right? Write a next step down for yourself and then revisit it during this week. Uh, let, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are 